Amen. Please be seated. If you can turn in your Bible to 1 John chapter 3, we'll look at verses 19 through 24. 1 John 3, 19 to 24. The text is also printed in the bulletin. Um, we're going to talk about um, our conscience this morning because uh, the, the language that John uses here is language of the heart. It's actually, uh, I think, fairly rare for him to use the word heart um, and the way that he's using it uh, is uh, to talk about the conscience and um, it's, it's uh, the thing that condemns us from the inside or the thing that needs to be reassured and soothed uh, internally to us. And so uh, that's important for us to talk about uh, when we consider the overall um, themes of John's letter um, because it's a letter about assurance. It's a letter about how you can know and in a sense how you can be at peace internally, how you can be soothed and reassured about uh, your relationship with God and your conscience plays a big part in that uh, assurance process. But it's pretty easy for us, I think, to uh, misunderstand what part that plays. Um, Because as everybody knows what Jiminy Cricket said from Pinocchio, it's uh, always let your conscience be your guide. Always let your conscience be your guide. Um, that's probably wrong. <laughs> that's probably wrong to always let your conscience be your guide, to always listen to what it has to say uh, as if you can uh, properly interpret all the information that you receive from your conscience or as if your conscience weren't uh, somehow also affected and broken by the fall uh, by human sin and rebellion. So the conscience uh, is something that we need to think about when we talk about our assurance, our relationship with God. And so uh, what we're going to talk about this morning is three things. The wrong use of the conscience. Um, secondly, the right use of the conscience. And then third, the results of a heart uh, that are made right, that, a heart that's made right with God. So the wrong use of the conscience or the heart, um, the right use of the conscience and the results of a heart made right with God. So Let's pray, and then we'll read the passage. Father, you have given us your very word, and this word um, should hold greater weight for us than it probably does. We pray that you would help us to um, sit under your word, to sit under its authority, its life-changing power. Uh, to sit there with uh, glad submission and not to kick back against what we hear in your word. We pray that you would um, shape our hearts by your spirit so that we'd be able to receive your word and be changed by it into the likeness of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. By this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So uh, the wrong use of the conscience. 
probably won't be able to talk about all the ways that the conscience is broken and all the ways that we abuse our con- or misuse our conscience, that we um, don't properly use it. But um, we do need a kind of a basic understanding of what is the conscience. That's, uh, you know, what is this? When, when John's talking about the heart, he's talking about the conscience. <clears throat> what, what is that and what is it for? What's it made for? Um, basically, the conscience is your internal awareness of how your actions affect your relationship with God. Really, basically, from a biblical point of view, um, God gave you your conscience so that, you know, warning bells would go off when you were doing something you weren't supposed to do, <laughs> right? I mean, that's kind of a basic, real basic understanding of the conscience. Is it, It's an internal awareness of how your actions affect your relationship with God. And... Um, What's it for? Contrary to probably popular belief, uh, like it, like Jiminy Cricket's belief, you should let it be your guide, um, your, your conscience isn't supposed to drive all of your actions necessarily. It's not supposed to be the thing that you, you're always checking against to see, okay, I'm going to be okay when I do this. When I do that, I can tell I'm not going to be okay, so I'm going to be good if I do this. That's not kind of the main point of why you have a conscience, why you have an internal kind of an indicator of when you've departed from God's law. Uh, in fact, you have a conscience. What is it for? It's given so that you don't fool yourself into thinking that you're right with God based on your own actions. Yeah, your conscience is given to you so that you don't think or feel that everything between you and God is okay based on who you are and what you've done, based on your own actions, right? Um, for example, I mean, so basically what this does, it, it works uh, right in line with God's law, or it's supposed to. It's supposed to be perfectly aligned, perfectly calibrated to, to God's law. So, for example, the Ten Commandments. When you break one of the Ten Commandments, you feel bad, right? There is something inside of you that uh, in, in, you might feel like it's in the back of your mind, something gnawing at you. You might feel something sinking inside of you, right? It's this feeling, it's this sense that um, I've done something I'm not supposed to do, and something's broken because of that. Right? It's, uh, it's, I've, I've broken one of the Ten Commandments. I've lied to my spouse. You know? I've stolen at work. Or I've, uh, I've cheated on my spouse. Or, um, you break the Ten Commandments. Your, your conscience is supposed to be aligned perfectly. It's not. So, I mean, there's a bit of a side note uh, that our consciences are seared uh, and deadened now to things so that uh, they don't really alert us as much as they should when we do things that God says we shouldn't do, <laughs> right? Uh, that's the, the culture in general. When you've got people who are characterized by sin and rebellion against God, when you've got people who are characterized by, they, we do things <clears throat> that uh, break our relationship with God, uh, when, when that constantly characterizes you, you better shut off that warning indicator or else you're going to go insane, right? Uh, so the conscience... Um, is broken in the fact that, it, you know, maybe you've trained yourself not to feel bad when you lie anymore, right? You've trained yourself not to feel bad. You've deadened your internal awareness uh, when uh, you've committed adultery, right? That, um, that's pretty common. So our consciences are broken, but uh, they're supposed to align with God's law in the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> and so, in a sense, they, they kind of are meant to be a guide, like... Jiminy Cricket says, it's like, yeah, you, you should be able to just kind of tell internally 
that's in accord with God's law and that's not. But our conscience is broken and we use it wrongly. Uh, even if it really is kind of tuned in, dialed in pretty well to the Ten Commandments, say, as an expression of God's law or as a summary of God's law, even if our conscience is fairly well aligned to, to set off the warning light um, on your dashboard when you're steering away from the Ten Commandments, uh, we use it wrongly. Right? We put uh, too much weight to it. We listen to it, uh, to what it's saying, and we misinterpret what it's saying. Uh, our conscience... Um, our conscience accuses us, right? That's what's happening here when our heart condemns us. Our, it's that our conscience has something against us. And that word condemn is actually, it's kind of a combination of words that means um, to know something against, right? To, your heart, your conscience has something against you. It knows something against you uh, with regard to how you've broken law, God, God's law. But it, it, it's not just that. It doesn't just accuse you, it condemns you, it passes sentence on you. And so the weight that we put on our consciences and the things that we hear our consciences saying are um, uh, that the final word against you is condemnation, right? That's it. You, uh, your conscience tells you it's all over. Uh, your, consci- your conscience condemns you. It doesn't just accuse you, it condemns you. It passes sentence on you. And, uh, and so somebody with a conscience that is uh, condemning, a heart that's condemning them, says that my guilt is too great. My guilt is, what I've done, I feel the weight of that, and therefore there's no hope for me to be reconciled to God, right? My guilt is too great. I'm tormented by this, uh, this thing that I've done. I can't get past it. My conscience is like locked onto it, and all I hear it saying is, you're in trouble, Right? That, that you, have, um, uh, you have sinned against God in a way that can't be forgiven. And when you're hearing your conscience say that, that's indicative of the fact that you're trying to live based on your own goodness before God. Right? Because all your conscience is meant to do is say, nope, you weren't supposed to do that. That's out of accord with God's law. It's not supposed to pass judgment on you. Uh, but when we uh, invest that kind of uh, authority in our consciences, when we listen to our, our hearts telling us that uh, we are beyond forgiveness in and of ourselves, it means we're trying to live in and of ourselves. We're trying to have a right relationship with God. We're trying to be okay based on what our conscience is telling us to, is right or wrong. Right? We're trying to um, make ourselves right before God based on our own goodness. And conscience is meant to tell you you can't do that. Your conscience is meant to tell you that um, if you're just going to stand on your own before God, it's not going to work, right? So um, you're not meant to despair of that. Um, you need to learn when to listen to your conscience and when to speak to it, right? When to listen to your heart and when to put it in its place and tell it to listen. Um, John Stott says that the, the inner voice is not to overcome us, right? When the heart condemns us, that, that inner voice, that conscience is not the final word. It's not to overcome us. Your heart needs to be told, um, you know, even my conscience is telling me I'm on my own and I'm in trouble. Uh, your heart needs to be told you're not on your own. You're not on your own. The, the condemnation of your conscience is not the final word. Right? Jesus Christ is the final word about your relationship 
with God. It says uh, in verse 20, whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Right? So talking about assurance with regard to your conscience and the weight that you place on your conscience when your heart is condemning you, it's not the final word because God is greater than your heart. He knows everything about you. He knows more about you than your heart knows because your conscience is broken, right? Uh, your, your internal awareness is not perfect like it should be. God knows everything about you, and his word carries more authority than the word of your own heart against you, right? than the condemnation of your own conscience. And uh, you see that in the, the Old Testament reading that uh, Cheryl read this morning uh, where the psalmist is speaking to his own heart. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. It, maybe his soul was prone to despair, and he's telling it what to do. You're going to bless the Lord because the Lord forgives you. And he says at the end of that, he knows our frame. He remembers the weird dust, right? So this concept of God's omniscience, when it says in verse 20, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything, that, that uh, God's omniscience is not supposed to be terrifying to you. It's not the kind of thing like, you better watch out, God knows everything about you, and you're in trouble. <clears throat> it's, God knows everything about you, and he's greater than your heart, which is telling you that you're condemned, and his word is greater, and his word is not one of condemnation, right? He knows everything about you inside and out. And uh, his word is not one of condemnation. And so you should listen to him. You should have your assurance about your relationship with God, not simply based on what your conscience is telling you, right? Not simply based on how you feel about who you are and what you've done and how your actions uh, speak on your behalf in God's presence, right? You should not listen to your conscience when it is condemning you, when it's telling you there's no hope for your relationship with God, uh, because you'll never have assurance if, that, if that's what you're looking for. If you're looking for your own conscience to be clean enough so that you feel, yeah, yeah, I'm perfectly right in God's uh, sight. I stand before him uh, not condemned because of who I am and what I've done. That, that's never going to happen. You can't have assurance based on that. But you can have assurance that's based on objective, external, historical, gracious truth about who God is and what he's done for you in the person of his son uh, in order to reconcile you to himself. And so now, <clears throat> uh, moving into the second point, the right use of the conscience, uh, it is meant to be that kind of guide. It's meant to prod you, in a sense, uh, to, to look outside yourself for the solution to your problem. Right? The problem is, you know, your heart knows something about you. Your heart knows that you've sinned. Your heart knows that you've uh, ignored God, you've rebelled against him actively or subconsciously or whatever. Your heart knows that about you, but it's not offering the solution to you. It's just pointing out the problem, right? Uh, and, and so your conscience is supposed to drive you to look outside of yourself for the solution. It's to drive you to your need for Christ. And so um, what you need to do, what all of us need to do, as you see it over and over again in the scriptures, is you need to... Um, at the point where you realize that you have sin that needs to be confessed, you need to stop listening to your heart and you need to start talking to your heart. Right? You need to stop listening to your conscience as if it were going to offer some kind of solution to you. Uh, you need to start preaching the gospel to your heart, to your conscience, to reassure it, the text says, uh, to soothe your conscience. And for that, I mean, you need to know who Jesus Christ is. You need Christ in order to have peace in your heart, to have a reassurance in your heart. 
This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Right? That's, that's the beginning of the process for us uh, in finding real assurance, real uh, soothing for our consciences and in our hearts, is that we need to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And that means that, um, you know, it doesn't just say believe in Jesus Christ. It says believe in the name of Jesus Christ, which is pointing out the fact that um, this is something that God has revealed. A name is like what you tell somebody when you want them to get to know you, right? When you've introduced yourself, you're trying to have a relationship with somebody, you tell them your name, and uh, especially in ancient cultures and in a lot of places, you know, the name has more significance than just some kind of a symbolic identifier of that person. Uh, the name has something to do with your character. You're, you're revealing something about yourself, right? When you share somebody with your name, it's an intimate thing. It's something that I'm, I'm sharing uh, in a revelatory way for you to get to know me. And so you need to trust, you need to believe in the name, the fact that God has revealed himself for a relationship with you through the character, through the person, through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of his son, Jesus, whose name means God saves, right? God saves. Uh, you can't do anything uh, on your own to fix what's wrong with your conscience, to soothe it, to clear it, to clean it, right? To lighten it. You can't fix that problem on your own, but God's the one who saves. Jesus is the one who saves, and he, God reveals that to you in the person of his son, and he is the son of God. That's what you need to know about, um, about Jesus, is that he's not uh, just a man, right? He is God himself. He is the son of God, the second person of the Trinity, come in the flesh. Um, he didn't just, God didn't just send a representative to, to save you, to fix your heart, to forgive you and transform you. He came himself in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ. And so you can see uh, God's motives clearly, right? He, he did not come into the world to condemn you, right? Your heart might condemn you. Your, your heart might be might have something against you that's true, probably has plenty against you. If you're anything like me, uh, your heart condemns you all the time. It accuses you of, of real sins, real ways in which you've departed from God's law. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into the world not to condemn, but to save. And so God really is greater than your heart. You need to look at Jesus Christ and know that he is the one that should be shaping the, uh, the way that you have assurance about your relationship with God. You're not left to stand on your own. It's, it's not just what's going on inside of you, fixing that, tweaking it, uh, that is going to make you presentable before God. It's something external to you. It's Jesus Christ himself come in the flesh uh, and, and him standing for you, right? It's the, the great exchange, his life for your life, his death for your death, everything that's true about him being true of you in God's sight. So all of his goodness, all of his obedience, all of his love to God and love to his neighbors where he poured himself out utterly for the sake of love, um, all of that counts for you. All of that is, is really your record. And if your conscience latched on to Jesus' record instead of your own internal record, if your conscience latched on to Jesus' record as what commends you to God, then you're going to have a clean conscience. <laughs> you're going to be free of guilt and, and self-condemnation and self-loathing. His death counts for you. It's uh, the, the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, so that it's not just a matter of kind of pretending that your sins have been dealt with. They really have been dealt with. 
God has once and for all punished your sins in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, and taken them out of the way as an obstacle, as a barrier between uh, you and him in your relationship. So there's real forgiveness, right? Your conscience isn't just kind of pretending something imaginary, oh, wouldn't it be nice if God looked at me um, the, way that, the way that he looks at his own son, Jesus, but your sins have really been dealt with. There really is no guilt anymore if you're in Christ by faith, if you believe in him. And his resurrection means your restoration. It means your renewal. It means that you're a new creation. If, you're, if you believe in the name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and if you're united to him by his spirit, then that means uh, you've been made new. Uh, you, you don't see it fully yet when you just look at yourself, but when you see Jesus Christ, you see what you're going to be. Right? And you see someone who has no guilt, who's never had any guilt of his own, who stands in God's presence, and there's only love, and there's only delight. Right? And that's, uh, that's what... Um, his resurrection means for you is that you've got that same life, at least in seed form, in you, and you've got that same life promised to you. Uh, and, and in his ascension, you know um, that because he is in God's presence at the, at the Father's right hand, in your place, then everything that is his is yours. His communion with God is yours, right? His courage, his boldness, his confidence to stand in God's presence is yours, and the joy of everything that means, uh, it's yours. So um, it's the word about Jesus Christ that is meant to shape your conscience. It's meant to shape your heart. It's meant to give you assurance about your relationship with God. Your conscience is meant to prod you toward finding your life in Jesus Christ. Right? Your conscience is meant to point out you cannot have life apart from Jesus Christ. You should go find it in Jesus Christ if you don't have it already, right? Uh, it's meant to, to point you in that direction. And so you need to look with faith. You need to look with trust. You need to rest in who Jesus is and what he's done uh, on your behalf and let that uh, soothe your conscience. Like, uh, preach that to your heart. Preach that gospel to your heart. And the, so thirdly, the results of a heart that are made right with, that's made right with God. Um, you know, we talked uh, last time, a couple weeks ago, uh, from the passage right before this, that God's love for you creates a response of your love for him and, and your love to others, right? So God's love creates a response in you. It changes you. It actually does. Uh, it doesn't leave you unchanged. It changes you. It makes a transformation in your heart. Um, and that's what is, is talked about when John says in verse 23, this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he's commanded us, right? Um, so having come to Christ, then, having uh, heard this gospel and being uh, reassured by it, having been granted the assurance of faith that you have a relationship with God that's not based on your own standing, that your conscience condemns you all at once, but God's word uh, to you in Jesus Christ is greater, having come to Christ and to that gospel, your desires then begin to align with his desires. Right? His love creates a response in, in you of your love. And so your will aligns with his will increasingly. Your love aligns with his love increasingly. And so the more that your heart is recalibrated by his grace, you know, to be in line with uh, his, his will and, and um, his heart, then the less your conscience will condemn you. I mean, that's true. There's, there's something uh, about that. I mean, it says in our text, if our heart doesn't condemn us, we have confidence before God. Uh, the more communion you have with God that's based on his grace to you, that his, his love to you, it's going to shape you into the kind of person who, um, 
pursues the things that he pursues. So it's not, he's not saying, you know, when he says, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. He's not saying, now, finally, you can stand on your own two feet in God's presence, and your heart has nothing evil to say about you, right? Uh, you, you no longer sin, and so now you, you just kind of stand in God's presence on your own. Um, he's not saying that. You only ever stand in God's presence in Christ, in his perfect righteousness, in his sacrifice on your behalf, in who he is and what he's done for you. But he is saying, you can have confidence, you can have assurance, you can know that you do have a relationship with him, that he really is in your life. Uh, you can have confidence before God, like relationally, you know. Um, and, and so in this, we take our cue from Jesus that, um, you know, what he was teaching and uh, what he says in a few places in, in John's gospel applies to us. And, and he, he basically says that those who are in Christ imitate Christ, right? Those who are in Christ imitate Christ. He says, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. So Jesus says, uh, I've done what my father says. I've kept his commandments. As it says, um, you know, this is his commandment. Uh, you're supposed to do what's pleasing in his sight and keep his commandments in our text. Um, Jesus Christ has done that. And so he enjoys perfect communion with the father. And uh, we enjoy communion with God by his grace. But the more that we come into line, into alignment in our hearts, and in our wills with, uh, with God's commandments, the more delightful it'll be to abide in his love. The more that we'll experience that, the more we'll know that, the more that we'll have confidence that that's true, uh, even as it's been true for Jesus. He says in John 8, uh, Jesus said that he who sent me is with me. So he's talking about his father. He, he who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Uh, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So Jesus did that perfectly. We don't do that perfectly. <laughs> we don't always do what's pleasing to God. But you will sense God's presence with you more the more you respond to his grace and his love by doing things that are pleasing to him, by wanting to do things that are pleasing to him, right? So if you live in him, you'll seek to live like him. If you live in Christ, you'll seek to live like Christ. And that means your desires will change your heart will be realigned. Everything inside you, uh, everything about you will start to change. It will realign uh, to God's own desires. And um, it's a pretty popular text, but Psalm 37.4 describes this fairly well. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So for someone who's delighting himself in the Lord, what's the desire of your heart? Is it, do you delight in the Lord... Um, in order to get those other things that I really wanted, because God is kind of like this cosmic vending machine. You put something in called delight, and out pops a new Ferrari, or a good stable job, or uh, a spouse that I can share intimacy with. Or, you know, Are you using God for the things that you truly delight in, truly desire, or is your delight in the Lord? And what that means is like he is your ultimate desire, right? And so if you delight yourself in the Lord, as it says in Psalm 34, He'll give you the desires of your hearts. <clears throat> and um, it says in our, in our passage, uh, let me find it, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. 
right? So what, what prayers do you think? Whatever we ask, we receive from him. What prayers do you think are generated by a new heart that loves God supremely? That loves God by a, by a new heart that loves what God loves? What prayers are generated by a heart that's truly fixed on God as your delight? On relationship with him and walking with him, on uh, doing things that are pleasing to him? What kind of prayers do you pray when that's true of you because God's transformed you by his grace? The renewed heart wants to love God, wants more of God, wants that relationship with God. The renewed heart wants to love others with the same love that Jesus Christ has. So, so love becomes your prayer. Right? First and foremost, I think what this passage is talking about, whatever we ask, we receive from him. Um, love becomes your prayer. Jesus says uh, in John 15, again, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. So he's linking there this concept of asking whatever you wish with bearing fruit in your life, right? The fruit, uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, etc., right? Um, so when you ask God to help you bear fruit that glorifies God, to help you do the things that are pleasing in his sight, to help you love others with the love of Christ himself, when you ask God for that, um, God... God answers that uh, whenever you ask it. Fruit, the fruit that he's talking about is, is the love of others that comes from God's love for you. And that's what you ask for in Christ. And that will be done. That will be done. Uh, the, the scriptures say it in several places. It says in, uh, uh, in our passage and also in, uh, in Luke 11, <clears throat> where Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find knock and it will be open to you for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened i mean that's that's pretty bold promises and he goes on to describe what he means what father among you if his son asks for a fish will instead of a fish give him a serpent or if he asks for an egg will give him a scorpion and if you then who are evil compared to god as the heavenly father you know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So these, these prayers that come from a heart that's made new by God's love um, in Christ, these, these prayers, we're asking for communion with God. Right? We're asking for the Holy Spirit. We're asking for the one who is the fellowship of God himself. And uh, whoever keeps his commandments, whoever's heart is uh, increasingly realigned with God's own heart, Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him, and by this we know he abides in us by the spirit whom he's given us, right? Um, ask whatever you want. And when, when God is your highest treasure, you're going to ask for more of God, and you've got it. You've got him, right? That's what he's saying. The heart that's soothed by the gospel, that's renewed and refashioned in Christ, is a heart that wants more of God. And uh, when you ask for that, uh, when that's your, your greatest desire, and you pursue that, then he gives you, he gives you peace in your relationship with him. Real peace. He gives you confidence in your relationship with him. Joy, right? Jesus said that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. The very joy of the son who um, rules over all things at the right hand of God the Father. That joy is, is going to be given to you. Knowledge of God. Real knowledge of God. How many prayers in the New Testament 
our uh, prayers to know God more, to know his love more. God answers that prayer. When you ask it, he answers it. For communion with him and to, to love other people, to show the, the fruit of a life that's being changed from the inside out by God's grace. God answers those prayers. Those are prayers God answers. Those are gifts that the Heavenly Father is delighted to give you through his spirit. So those are the prayers you need to pray. And those are the prayers that you can pray. That you can bring boldly to God because you stand right with God. Not in and of yourself, but you stand right with God in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. So uh, pray that way and God will, God will hear you and he'll answer. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, there are so many things wrong with us on the inside that uh, we, can't, we can't even uh, detect. And when we start to detect them, we're prone to despair. We pray that you would help our conscience not to have the final word in our hearts and in our minds, that um, you would help us to um, preach the gospel to our own souls, that we should bless you in our souls because of who you are and what you've done for us in Christ. We pray that you would help us to be able to preach the gospel to ourselves in a way that um, grants us true assurance about our relationship with you, that we would um, not just know it intellectually, not barely in, uh, and merely intellectually, but um, that we would know it really in, in our hearts, the, the relationship that we have with you that's based on uh, your son being the last word about our relationship with you. We pray that that would be true for us uh, and that you would um, help us to pray as we ought to pray, help us to focus on you as the great love of our lives, and help us to um, ask for the, the kinds of things that receive answers from you, because we know that uh, when we pray in, in Christ's will and in his name, with our prayers shaped by a, a true delight in you, that you, uh, you answer those prayers. And so we pray that you would hear us, not because of who we are, but because of who Christ is. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.